0: Merry Christmas to you, and it's a delight to see you. If you're here this morning and you were anticipating Brother Huey, I'm sorry to disappoint you. I am not Brother Huey. We had Brother Huey scheduled to preach this morning. All of you, the majority of you know him and love him so well. He served as the interim pastor here at Woodlawn between Brother Tommy and myself, and we had him scheduled to preach today, and he ended up in the hospital a number of days this week but went home late yesterday afternoon and um, so we'll we'll reschedule brother Huey hopefully sometime here in the near future and we can rejoice with one another and hearing the word proclaimed through him I'd like to encourage you to take your copy of God's word and look with me to the book of Colossians Colossians chapter 1 as we reflect together today on the incarnate Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. We have been on a journey this Christmas season reflecting on the person of Christ. We saw from second Samuel chapter 7 that Jesus is the promise of God, and then from Romans chapter 8 we saw together and reflected upon with one another from the text of scripture on Jesus's humanity. And then last week from Revelation chapter 12, we saw that Jesus in his humanity reigns over humanity. And then today in Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look together at the pre-incarnate Christ's actions as these actions in his pre-incarnate state image, his rule as the incarnate king in both his first and second comings. Paul, here in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, this is one of the four primary Christological texts of the New Testament that highlight in some specificity for us exactly who Jesus Christ would be. And there's a move in this text in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, from Jesus' pre-incarnate state to his incarnation and his earthly rule his reign over his church. And then I think Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 ends for us and images for us this hope of Jesus's second coming, his reign and his rule for eternity over all of creation. And in this text today, I want us to image some of the pre-incarnate Christ's actions and then see how those actions actually flesh themselves out both in Jesus's first advent and in his second advent his second coming Paul in this text reflects on the preeminence of Christ and much like what we did on our New Year's Eve service a hymn from first Timothy chapter three so too is Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 thought to be a early hymn in the life of the church here as the church sang of its understanding of Jesus he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of creation for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things were created through him and for him And he is the image, excuse me, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body. What is the body? The church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God is was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Notice Paul begins first with this reflection on Jesus as God's image. As we think about image We oftentimes think of an image being a replica of something, not that exact same thing. We have all sorts of images. For example, if you were to go into my office right now, uh, many of you know of my affection and not only my affection, the church's affection for the country of India. I've got a number of images of India in my office. For example, I have some Asian elephants. I have some... Cloth in my office that is from India. I have a table in my office that is made from acacia wood from India. But none of you would walk in my office and say, Wow, I've been to India today. For we understand that those are images, or in the case of that elephant, a replica of that which is real. But Paul is not using this term icon in Colossians chapter 1 in reflection on Jesus as Jesus being a replica of God. No, what Paul is telling us is Jesus is exactly what God wanted to say to you and me. You might remember Jesus in a conversation in the Gospel of John with a number of the Pharisees and Sadducees, and they said to Jesus in John chapter 14, hey, we want to see the Father. And what does Jesus say to those who want to see the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is exactly the imprint, exactly the representation of God, Jesus himself is is God. In fact, Paul will conclude this hymn with that wonderful theological statement, in Jesus is the entirety of the Godhead present. Jesus is exactly what God wanted to say to you and me. And what did God exactly want to say to you and me concerning himself, concerning this person of christ notice what the text says next about jesus jesus is god's priority jesus is god's priority how how do we see jesus being god's priority paul tells us in this next phrase he is the firstborn of creation now don't make the same mistake that some of our heretical friends maybe some of your co-workers or neighbors make in regard to this passage of scripture Uh, Paul is not teaching us that there was a moment in time in which Jesus did not exist. In fact, Paul using this this word, firstborn, is rightly the opposite. Communicates something directly uh, contrary to that idea. Paul is using this word, uh, firstborn, as an image of Jesus' primacy, of Jesus' supremacy, of Jesus being... God's priority we think of firstborn in terms of an ordering of creation but for Paul in this use of this word he's not thinking of an ordering of of creation in other words God didn't create Jesus and then after Jesus we go to Genesis chapter 1 and see the seven days of creation Paul is simply reminding you and me that Jesus in and of himself is God's very priority. Jesus is primary in all of creation. And friends, if Jesus is exactly what God wanted to say to you and me, if Jesus is God's priority... Ought not Jesus also be our priority? Ought Jesus not also be the focus of our affections? We tend to understand that at certain times in the calendar year, do we not? We understand that at Christmas time. We tend to understand that at Easter, for example. But Paul isn't interested in Jesus being primary in your life and my life and the life of the church at Christmas and Easter. Paul is interested in Jesus being primary in our hearts and lives every day of our lives. And friend, whether you acknowledge Jesus' primacy, whether you acknowledge Jesus' supreme rule, he reigns supreme. He rules ultimately with all power And with all authority. Not only is Jesus exactly what God wanted to say. Jesus is God's image. Paul tells us that Jesus is God's priority. But notice what he says in verse 16. Jesus is God's agent of creation. Jesus is God's agent of creation. For by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We learn from this text of scripture that Jesus himself was very present at creation. Jesus was God's agent of creation. Now hang with me for just a moment, if we go back to Genesis chapter 1 and we were reading this morning from the Septuagint, we will learn that God spoke creation into existence. He used words to create. And we come to that other of uh, four Christological passages in the New Testament, John chapter 1. And what do we learn about Jesus in John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Logos, was the Word. It should come as no surprise to those who have spent their lives reading the text of Scripture to understand Jesus was the very Word, the very agent in God's creation that we read from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Two See friends, Jesus, in his pre-incarnate state, was reigning and ruling and creating what you and I experience even at this very moment. Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the primacy of God. He is God's priority. Jesus is God's creator and look at verse 17. Jesus always existed, and he is before all things. This statement of Jesus being before all things is similar to what Paul has already communicated in this text of scripture with Jesus being the firstborn of all creation. Paul, like John is wanting you and me to clearly understand that there was never a moment in time in which Jesus did not exist. Jesus, along with the Father and the Spirit, have always existed in perfect, complete, total harmony with one another. Paul, in this phrase, and reminding us that Jesus always existed, is yet again pointing to Jesus' priority... In terms of creation, Jesus' supremacy, Jesus' preeminence, there is not another who is more glorious than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Not only is he creator, not only has he always existed, but notice the end of verse 17, Jesus is the sustainer of all things. The very breath that you and I take at this moment is held together by the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just a few nights ago, some fun things took place in the sky. Some of you were outside like me, stargazing. An event that hasn't happened since the 13th century, the alignment of Saturn and Jupiter, and it created this very bright star. Do you know who brings all of those stars into alignment with one another, friends? Who holds all of those galaxies together so that you and I, through a telescope or with a naked eye, can walk out in the darkness of night and see the beauty of everything that God has created in the heavens? Jesus, at this very moment, is holding every one of those stars and all of those galaxies together in the palm of his hand. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. But not only is Jesus sustainer of all things, look at verse 18. Jesus is the head of his church. Now of all the things that Paul could speak to you and me about concerning Jesus' preeminence, of all the things that Jesus that Paul could speak to us concerning that God that Christ Himself has created, notice that which he seeks to prioritize. As Jesus being the head of. Jesus is the head of his church. Jesus is the creator of his church. Jesus is the sustainer of his church. And it is through the church that God has chosen to reveal the primacy of his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the head of the body. In case you were wondering what the body is. Maybe you hadn't already read First, uh, first Corinthians. Corinthians. He tells us he is the head of his church. Jesus, at this very moment, lives as the ruling, reigning shepherd of his church. He is directing the life of his church. He is sustaining his church. He is calling his church. He is leading his church. Jesus reigns supreme over his church. But then notice lastly what Paul tells us here in verses 18, 19, and 20. Jesus has provided salvation. You see the progression of the text? The text moves from those acts of Jesus in his pre-incarnate state. It moves to the acts of Christ in his earthly reign, he establishes his church, he provides salvation for you and me. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, there's that word again, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. No other being, no other person could place you and me in a position whereby our souls, our lives, our beings might be saved. Only Christ and that perfect combination of being 100% man and 100% God could provide the means of salvation to redeem sinners separated from God. And what is the culmination of Jesus' act? He has provided peace. He's reconciled us. Those of us, as Paul would write in Ephesians, who were enemies of God, we were haters of God, We have now been reconciled to God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we reflect on Jesus' incarnate life, I want us to see how these images of these actions of the pre-incarnate Christ have fleshed themselves out in the actions of Christ in his first advent and ultimately in his second advent paul teaches us again from this text that jesus is the very image of god he's exactly what god wanted to say he is creator he has always existed from eternity past he sustains all things he is the head of his church he has provided salvation the very beginning of john's gospel in john chapter 2 And the very first sign that John would give us concerning the person of Jesus, John teaches us that Jesus himself is a creator. You remember the narrative, Jesus has showed up to this wedding at Cana. All of the wine has, uh, it's gone, it's been drank, and so they, they come to Jesus and they won't an action from from Jesus. And Jesus is concerned about this so much so that he even says to his his mother, "Hey, you got to kind of be quiet here, lady. My time is not yet. Don't be don't be revealing too much, Mary," Jesus says. John chapter 2 verse 6. Now there were wa- were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. And they said to him, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though his servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Canaan, Galilee, and manifested his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Jesus's same act as the pre-incarnate Christ, as the agent of creation, is the same action that Jesus takes as God in his first advent. Creator, creating wine out of water. Not only is Jesus this divine creator; he's God. There are a number of texts that teaches us us about Jesus being this God. One of those texts is an indication of Jesus being God as as the Lord of the Sabbath. Look with me in the Gospel of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, and Jesus is with his disciples on the Sabbath. He's walking through some grain fields, and the Bible tells us that his disciples are hungry. And the Pharisees see what is taking place as the disciples are plucking those heads of grain, and they say to Jesus, look, Pharisee, look. Your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presents, which, which, it, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest and the temple profaned the Sabbath, and are guiltless i tell you something greater than the temple is here you can imagine how blasphemous this statement from jesus would have been to the pharisees and if you had known what it means i desire mercy and not sacrifice you would not have condemned the guiltless for the son of man is lord of the sabbath what is jesus reminding us through the recounting of this story what is Matthew's intended purpose of this narrative? I think Matthew is showing us two things. He's revealing to us that Jesus himself is indeed God. And how is Jesus God? He is the creator of the Sabbath, He is the one that has created this Sabbath, this seventh day, if you will. Jesus himself is this complete full day of rest. This is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees. If you ultimately want to experience the beauty and the glory and the rest of the Sabbath, don't look to the Sabbath, Jesus says. Look to me, for I reign Lord over the Sabbath. Jesus is God. He shows us that in the text of Scripture by showing us that he is Lord of the Sabbath, But he also shows it to us in the fact that he is the Lord of creation in a very real way. Look back just a few chapters to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8 verses 23 through 27. Jesus is Lord over his creation. Here the disciples are in a boat with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and a storm arises on the sea. The boat is taking in water. And so verse 25, they went and woke Jesus, saying to him, Lord, save us, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you, a little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and seas obey him? Jesus lord over his creation why because he's god how do we see he's god we see it in his his actions in his pre-incarnate state we see it in his actions through his incarnate state in that first advent jesus rules over his creation look back just a few verses now and look at jesus's interaction with the demons here in matthew chapter 8 or excuse me right after this section here in verse 28 and when Jesus came to the other side, to the country of the Gadareans, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass the way. And behold, they cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, going into the city. They told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men, and behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Jesus is Lord of his creation. The demons submit to him. The winds and the seas submit to him. Jesus is Lord over his church. And those two great ecclesiological passages in Matthew chapter 16 and Matthew chapter 18, Jesus by extension extends his authority over the church to Peter and then to the church itself. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter is given the keys. To the kingdom himself. With the responsibility of exercising oversight and proclaiming the gospel. And then we come to Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 18 says that the keys of the church have also been given to the church. It's a statement of the priority and the supremacy and the authority of the church. Who my friends has established the church? Jesus. Jesus in Matthew chapter 16. and Matthew chapter 18. Has established for you and for me his church. And in these actions, they image for us exactly what Paul declares in Matthew, and sorry, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus reigns supreme over his church. Jesus himself, as Paul concluded in Colossians chapter 1, verse Verses 18, 19, and 20. In Jesus is the entirety of the Godhead. Look in Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Mark tells this beautiful story of Jesus' encounter. In Capernaum, in the Sea of Galilee region, the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, notice Jesus' statement, son, your sins are forgiven. But that's not why they brought the paralytic to Jesus. Now some of the scribes, verse 6, were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. He who can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are, to, are forgiven, or to say, rise, take your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Jesus, in this one story, communicates for us clearly, he is God. Why? For the Pharisees rightly understood that there was only one who could forgive sins. And Jesus is performing that same act that only God himself could do. That is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, in his pre-incarnate state, imaged for you and me exactly what he would do in his first incarnation. But notice Jesus in this pre-incarnate state also images for you and me what he will ultimately do in his second advent and to that i want us to turn to two texts of scripture one in isaiah and concluding in the book of revelation look with me in isaiah chapter 2 isaiah chapter 2 isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 Isaiah speaks of a time that is yet to come, both for the nation of Israel, and he images a time that is yet to come for you and me. He images that time when Jesus Christ comes again. Here is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established "...as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem he shall judge between the nations." And shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob. Come let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah images for you and me. Here in this text in Isaiah chapter 2. That eternal reign of Jesus. When he shall come to this earth. And shall forever rule and reign over his people. And notice what the people of God desire. They desire the lordship of Christ. They want to be taught by the person of Jesus. And so the text images it as though all these nations will flow up to this high mountain. To Jerusalem. The place from which Jesus will reign in his second coming. Jesus will reign supreme over his creation as he teaches as he judges as isaiah says as he establishes his eternal reign which is marcated, uh, demarcated by the image of peace no more shall nation go to war with nation the exact same thing that isaiah will image for us in isaiah chapter 11 but look with me in isaiah chapter 60 Isaiah both at the beginning of his text and at the end of his text images for us this eternal future reign of Jesus. And Notice the similarity here in Isaiah chapter 60 with Revelation chapter 21 where John himself images Jesus' eternal reign. Isaiah chapter 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and the thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. Look at verse 11. Your gates shall be open continually day and night. They shall not be shut. The people may bring to you the wealth of the nation with their kings led in procession for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste for the glory of lebanon shall come to you the cypress the plain the pine the beauty of the place of my sanctuary and i will make the place of my feet glorious the sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you and all who despise you shall bow down at your feet they shall call you the city of the lord the zion of the holy one of israel There's not going to be any opposition, my friends, to this eternal reign of the Lord Jesus Christ when he comes in his second coming. It should be no surprise for you and me that Jesus' second coming will in many ways image his first coming. For his first coming images For you and me, how Jesus has eternally ruled and reigned. And this second coming of Christ is so beautifully depicted for you and me in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, and then picking up in verse 22. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Verse 22, And I saw no temple in the city. For it's simple as the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. You hear the images from Isaiah 60. And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, Isaiah 60. And there will be no night there. They they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, friends, Jesus in his pre-incarnate state, Jesus in his first Advent and Jesus in his second advent will reign, does reign, has reigned supreme over all things. And the intended purpose of Jesus' first incarnation. was, as Paul said in Colossians chapter 1, that you and I might be made right with Him through the blood of His cross. Or as John says here, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life shall join Christ in that eternal, forever reign of Jesus. Are you ready for that reign, friend? Are you longing for that glorious time? Are you living your life in anticipation? See, Jesus taught us in his first advent to look forward to his second advent for in that second advent he will make all things new again my life your life that of the world would you pray with me lord we thank you for these images of jesus's pre-incarnate reign that image for us exactly how you, Jesus, would reign during your first advent and ultimately during your second advent. And it's in those images of Christ that we pray, God, that in our heart and lives you would work in such a way that we would desire, that we would long for, your second coming. Would you spend a few moments where you're seated? Reflect upon the text of Scripture. Have you experienced Christ reign in your life? Has your life been redeemed today? Have you trusted in Christ not, friend, our prayer is that you would see the work of Christ before creation, the work of Christ in his first advent, and the work of Christ in his second advent, and that by faith you would trust in Christ today. For those of us who are believers, whose lives have been redeemed by Christ, how are you living in Christ's kingdom at this moment? In what ways do you see evidence, evidences of Christ's reign in your life at this moment? Would you ask the Lord to increase your longing and your desire for his second coming? In just a moment, we're going to stand and corporately respond to the preaching of God's word. If you're here this morning you have questions about what it means to trust in Christ myself and Pastor Travis will be standing down front, we'd be delighted to share with you how you can trust in Christ. But friend, you don't have to come forward to speak to one of us, please feel free to turn to anyone seated next to you for there are plenty of people in this building that would delight in sharing with you how you can trust in the person of Christ. Secondly, maybe you'd like for one of us just to pray with you. That indeed the truths of this text might resonate in your heart and your life as you long for the return of Christ's second coming, or perhaps you have a family member, a friend, a coworker that you desire to live now in God's kingdom, we would delight to pray for you. Or thirdly, maybe God has impressed upon your heart that this is the congregation in which you need to be connected to live out your life on mission with him. This would be an opportunity for you to express your interest in being part of this faith family. Lord, as we respond to you now, We pray that our response might be pleasing. In Jesus' name, amen.